0: our Auditorium at Goucher College. I'm Sanford Unger, President of the College, and it's my great honor to welcome you this evening to our program with the President of Liberia and Africa's first elected female head of state, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf. (laughs) President Johnson Sirleaf does us a great honor by being here this evening. She is a very distinguished figure in Africa and throughout the world and we're pleased to host her at Goucher. As many of you know, as I think most of you know, in 2006, Goucher College became the first in the country to require all of its students to study abroad, and Africa is one of our most popular destinations. Goucher's connections with Africa and my own personal connections with Africa make President Johnson Sirleaf's visit to our campus that much more special and meaningful. After formal introductions, President Johnson Sirleaf will speak briefly and then we'll sit down for a conversation and take questions from the audience. As usual, Goucher students will have priority to ask questions. (laughs) First, uh, I'm going to turn the program over to my esteemed colleagues, Professors Kaushik Bagchi and Lejeune Cornish.
1: Thank you Sandy. My name is Kaushik Bakshi and I'm a professor of history at Gaucha College. I am also honored to be here tonight for this momentous occasion in the college's history. I have been taking Gaucha students to West Africa for the last 10 years and I have come to know the region and its people as my second home. There is a rich history between our college and Liberia. Our founding president Dr. John Franklin Goucher, was an early advocate for missions in Africa. A letter dated 1917, found by Marilyn Wachowski, Goucher trustee, shows that Dr. Goucher was affiliated with the Methodist Bishop of Africa, Alexander Kampfer, who became the principal of the Monrovia Seminary in Liberia. Bishop Kempfer became president when the seminary became the College of West Africa, an institution that, I understand, President Johnson Sirleaf attended. As you can see, our connections with Africa and with Liberia are historic and strong and continue through the present day. Earlier this year, a West African professor, Elolo Garbin from Ghana, came to Goucher to stage a traditional West African play. As Garbin said, Goucher College is ahead of other American universities and colleges in giving students a first-hand experience of what Africa is all about. It is our hope that with tonight's visit by President Johnson Sirleaf, Goucher College continues this experience and takes another step forward in fostering our relationship with Africa. We are extremely honored and proud to welcome President Johnson Sirleaf, a distinguished member of the new generation of African leaders to our campus and to the Goucher community. Our hopes and aspirations rest with you. And now here is Lejeune Cornish professor of education who has led many programs to South Africa to formally introduce President Johnson Sirleaf. Thank you.
2: Good evening. Thank you Kaushik. It is now my great pleasure and indeed it is my honor to introduce a truly remarkable woman to you this evening. President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf is internationally known as Africa's Iron Lady for her strong will. She is also known for leading Liberia's innovative peacemaking and reconciliation process and is recognized worldwide as a promoter of justice and democracy. President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf has had a distinguished career in economic and financial management in both the public and private sectors. She has served as a director for Citibank, as Liberia's Minister of Finance, and as a loan officer for the World Bank. She has also worked as an assistant administrator and later director of the Regional Bureau for Africa of the United Nations Development Program. She is the first woman to lead the UN Development Project for Africa. Due to political unrest in Liberia for many years and President Johnson Sirleaf's brave efforts to bring justice to her people, she was jailed at the hands of the military dictatorship of General Samuel Doe and had her life threatened by former President Charles Taylor. President Johnson Sirleaf campaigned relentlessly for Taylor's removal from office and played an active role in Liberia's transitional government. In 2005, she ran for president and defeated the ex-international soccer star George Way with an impressive 59.4% of the vote. During her time as president, her strong bipartisan support from the US has resulted in Liberia's inclusion in two supplemental budgets and her well-recognized speech at a joint session of Congress. In recognition of her tireless efforts to make Liberia a post-conflict success story. In 2007, President Johnson Sirleaf was awarded the coveted Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest civilian honor bestowed by an American president. She has served on many advisory boards and committees and is the recipient of a long and distinguished list of awards. President Johnson Sirleaf also was one of seven internationally eminent persons designated in 1999 by the Organization of Africa Union to investigate the Rwanda genocide, one of the five commission chairs for the Inter-Congolese Dialogue, and one of two international experts selected by the United Nations Development Fund for Women to investigate and report on the effect of conflict on women and women's roles in peace building. She was the initial chairperson of the Open Society Initiative for West Africa and a visiting professor of governance at the Ghana Institute of Management and Public Administration. President Johnson Sirleaf attended the College of West Africa in central Monrovia and holds a master's degree in public administration from Harvard University. She has received seven honorary doctorate degrees from universities around the world and is founder and chief supporter of a community development NGO in Liberia. President Johnson Sirleaf is the proud mother of four sons and has seven grandchildren. Last but not least, she is also a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. (laughs) This month, her first book, This Child Will Be Great, Memoir of a Remarkable Life by Africa's first woman president, will be published. Without further ado, Ladies and gentlemen, I ask that you will now rise as we welcome President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf to Doucher College.
3: Thank you very much for the very, very warm welcome. President Unger and faculty, students of Goucher College, members of the Baltimore community, let me say how very pleased I am to be here. It's a promise fulfilled in a way. President Unger and I were reminiscing a few minutes back there and about the time when he was at um, NPR and provided to some of us the opportunity and the platform uh, to talk about conditions in our country. This was the early 1980s, period that uh, followed some very difficult times uh, for all Liberians as he had just followed the the coup d'etat that had um, taken out all the gains of the previous years, but going back, we had always thought our country was peaceful and and stable. Uh, we go back to its beginnings from the time when um, true settlers from this country, the emancipated slaves went and founded Liberia, but they also met people there, people who were Africans and who really um, own the land and the process of assimilation did not go very well and even though the country spent its time trying to support the liberation of Africa it forgot some of the domestic things and it set in stage a cleavage uh, in a society that ultimately would lead to the disaster that we faced in subsequent years. Um, since that time, many know, following the coup d'etat, we had a disastrous civil war in which so many people died, and much of what we had uh, was destroyed. We have since that time been struggling, and we must be thankful today for the opportunity that came following the, the peace talks in Accra and the elections in 2005 that enabled our administration, the one I had, to be able to start the process of national renewal, the process of economic reconstruction. Um, We have moved in trying to, first of all, ensure peace and security, and that has meant making sure that we build a new army, new security forces, trying to get our economy functioning again Uh, and that means going back to our traditional uh, places of growth. We are an agriculture nation. Our basic export has been rubber, our basic product over time, but we also have large mineral resources, forestry resources, fisheries, and so we've been trying to get them back and not forgetting our small farmers to get people back to the farm. Uh, producing our basic staples to enable us to become self-sufficient. We've been trying to fix um, our infrastructure that had uh, gone into ruins over the many years of neglect. That means rebuilding the schools and the clinics and the roads and the water systems and the power systems. Uh, Again, progress made there. And finally, trying to get uh, good governance and the rule of law, getting public service running at an efficient and effective level, moving toward a merit system, getting our courts to function properly and civil society to play its rightful role. All of these things are beginning uh, to happen. Um, The challenges that remain are still enormous despite the progress we've made. In every area where I mention progress has been made, one can say that there's still a long road to go to be able to to bring back to our nation what it is. And let me mention again on the economy just to give you an example of how far we've come because we had a great day today uh, when I was um, at the World Bank and we announced the fact that uh, we were able to to finally buy off the commercial segment of our external debt. When we took over the external debt, it was closing $4.9 billion. You can imagine what that means for a population of 3.5 million people. Um, We have been under a poverty reduction strategy program and the heavily indebted Poor Countries Initiative. We've been moving toward a settlement of that debt um, until today, we had uh, two billion of that debt had been taken off. Today, we were able to take off 1.2 billion in the commercial segment, <laughs> and we hope that next year, when we reach what is called the completion point, another HIPC program, that uh, all that debt will go away, be ticking off the shoulders of young ones like this who have no reason to have that debt that they wouldn't have, have to carry that. Um, most of you know we've just been releasing a book. Uh, my, own, my own story is, um, in a way, parallels that of the nation. Uh, the tragedies and the triumphs, the successes and the failures, the difficulties, and all, the, and all of that. So I grew up um, in a family, like I say, that had its feet in both worlds. Uh, some of my my grandparents being indigenous, but at the same time, they were also they grew up in settler families where they were able to to get an education and thereby make sure their children uh, got an education. Um, my going to school and all like like everybody else and trying to. I got married very young, had had all my four children before I went back to college, uh, but then. Also, having a determination uh, to move ahead, to catch up for lost time. And so it all ended me in all kinds of problems, sometimes uh, in exile, uh, because I'm one who always spoke my mind and said things that um, people may not have appreciated, and sometimes in prison, uh, because of being part of some of the political um, activism. But I always say that uh, the totality of those experiences only helped to make me a stronger person, and so when we went into the campaign in 2005, I don't think anybody thought I would win. Uh, I mean, it was clear that no, 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 the opposition was too formidable and I had all these things against me. I was too old compared with many of the young people uh, that were running against me. I was too fair-skinned in a country where Black is appreciated. I had, didn't have enough money. Uh, I had all the political baggage. All those things that, that um, would, would not say you could win. And I was running against a very famous world-renowned soccer star. I'm sure many have heard of George Weah and, and our now, and now, country so young and all the young people saw the stardom in that. So they also stacked against me, one might say. But I always say that they forgot one thing. The power of women. Because the women... Mobilized, and you're talking about rural women, urban women, poor women, rich women, illiterate women, profe- uh, professional women, market women. They all decided, Well, look, this country has been around for 150 something years, dominated by men. Look where we are. This time is time for a woman. <laughs> And with, with, that kind of, uh, with that kind of a force, I, the, the women just went to the polls. I mean, they did a campaign door-to-door to make sure. And in the first round, things were a bit shaky. We didn't know how we'd come out. But fortunately, we came out and it had a runoff. And in a runoff, the women really took charge from all over the country. They just took the election in hand and said, we're going to do it. And so today... I am what I am because of the, the women of Liberia and what they have done uh, to stand by me. I owe them a tremendous, tremendous uh, song of gratitude. And what I always say that um, I represent the aspirations, the expectations of Liberian women, African women, maybe even women of the world as the first. But that carries with it a major responsibility, an humbling responsibility, because everything you do, everything you say, is very closely monitored and watched And disgust, and you know deep down inside of you that you just have to keep on making progress. You just have to be successful for them, for those millions of women around the world who can now say the glass cage has been broken. And so we're just glad to be a part of a team, and to thank all. I see so many Liberian Liberians in the audience, and to thank all the Liberian people who have shown such great, who have suffered so much, but have shown such great resilience and determination uh, in making sure that they do what they can, even if they're not at home that they are regularly in touch with home and they send support to home in the forms of ideas and resources and all of that. And my word to all of the Liberians here, we can understand and we'll be fighting for you to make sure you get your status here, but just remember, <laughs> home is home. Yes. And once you've completed and done your own planning to come, please come back we're trying to make sure that Liberia succeeds in its processes of renewal. We're trying to make sure that never again will our nation see war, that never again would our young people have to leave or people have to run, that we can provide for our citizens based upon the natural resources that God has so greatly given us that if managed properly and used properly we can indeed provide those basic services for our people to enable them to enjoy the quality of life, and for each one of them to be able to reach their potential based upon their own commitment and dedication and industry. That's our promise. That's our challenge. And we hope that all Liberians will join us in this effort to become a post-conflict success story. Thank you.
0: President Johnson, Sirleaf, thank you again for being with us, and uh, I welcome this opportunity to talk with you again, this time not on the radio, but but before an audience of friends and, and interested people. Uh, you just said, of course, America has this long-standing relationship with Liberia. It goes back to the founding of your country. Uh, would you really like to see all of the Liberians who are living in this country, the various generations, the so-called Americo-Liberians who sought refuge here, the other people, would you like them all to be coming back to Liberia?
3: Absolutely. And one of the things we want everybody to know that whatever they are, from whatever ethnic groups there's strength in ethnic diversity, but first and foremost, they are Liberians.
0: I want to have a chance to talk to you a little bit about Liberia and about events in Africa for the next few minutes, and then we'll, we will welcome questions from the audience. and the standard procedure is there's a microphone on either side that students first, and then others will uh, line up at. Um, are you able to feel some confidence about the direction of economic, social events in Africa generally? Uh, So often in the West, we read mostly about bad news from Africa, mostly about bad things that are happening. Congo, war that's gone on for so long. Rwanda, obviously the terrible events there in the 1990s. Uh, Zimbabwe recently. Uh, So many places that we hear bad news about. Are there signs of hope around Africa?
3: a whole lot of hope and a whole lot of progress in Africa. You get the sensational bad news because those are the things that make the news. But if you look at the record, for the past decade since Africa started economic reforms, there's been an average annual rate of growth of 5% across the continent. If you look at the transformation that's taken place on the political side, two decades ago, there may have been about four functioning democracies in Africa, there are well over 24 today. Many of those countries have had successive elections. Some in our area, Ghana, Benin, Tanzania. We're not talking about the old ones like Botswana and Mauritius you know, South Africa, it's just happening all over the place. So the, the exceptions are really those pockets where problems remain, whether you're dealing with Darfur or Somalia you know, or Zimbabwe or some of those. Uh, so the record is very clear.
0: Not too many months ago, another outstanding African woman was on this stage with us, Wangari Mathai from Kenya, and she talked about her environmental efforts and so on. And her country, Kenya, where I once lived, uh, has had terrible trouble and has not been able to make the transition, it seems, from one leader to another without great problems. Uh, Is there a risk of some countries in Africa going backwards now?
3: There are some countries that have stagnated and I've just mentioned, you know, three of them. Uh, in the case of Kenya, Kenya was one of the better performers, one of the strongest economies uh, in Africa. True, the political situation has not moved smoothly. We thought it had, you know, with the elections of the Rainbow Coalition and all of that. Uh, that came apart. Uh, but still, I think, despite that, and that kenya is going to find its way it's a strong enough economy that it can bounce back unfortunate that they they've had some backsliding on a political front and i'm sure wangari talked about that in some detail uh, but i do have confidence even that um, as they prepare for the next round of the political evolution that even even kenya can build upon the strength of the strength of what it already has and can find its way back you know to the kind of uh, Political compromises that are necessary to enable them to to, care, to carry on on the economic front so well as they have.
0: You said you were going to mention three Kenya and two others?
3: Well, I had already mentioned oh, Darfur, which is, which is uh, Sudan, and I'd mentioned Somalia, I'd mentioned Zimbabwe. I'd already yes. mentioned those three. Yes,
0: oh, okay. Um, in Liberia, when you re- Turned as president of Liberia, when you took office as president of Liberia, the country was really in a shambles, wasn't it? I mean, what, what do you do? What did you do on your first few days of work? How did you get started? Who, who was helping you? How did you rebuild a country from the ashes of this war?
3: Well, first of all, you had to have peace. And on the peace side, we had a UN peacekeeping force, we still do. Number still about 10,000 there and and there's a drawdown process underway. Uh, But that helped with the peace. Uh, Our main partner is still the United States and helping to train our new army and security forces, a process which is ongoing. And then I was able to mobilize friends. I've, you know, been out there, been in many of those institutions and I know them. So what I was calling the World Bank or the African Development Bank or some of our bilateral partners, the European Commission, to come together uh, and help to do things, and I got the kinds of responses, and, and it's moved very well. If there's been um, any constraint on the acceleration that we want, it's really been a capacity issue. Um, and because our capacity is low, because just think, many of these young people who really today should be the ones that are moving the country forward, providing the public service and providing um, the kind of uh, capacity and capabilities that are needed. These are young people, thousands and thousands today, who have no skills. And that's because during a period of conflict, these were young. Some of them were child soldiers conscripted into war, given drugs, given drink, no education possibilities. They represent today the pool of thousands and thousands of unemployed young people. Our challenge, of course, is to to put them back in school, to to give them a skill through vocational training. It's a big task, but um, we've come some ways. What what one of the first things I did was to enforce compulsory primary education to make sure that parents took their children off the farms and off the marketplaces and send them to school to prepare that generation in the right way. And of course, enrollment has increased by 40%. And most of of those who represented the increase are girls because the girls usually get bypassed when the family doesn't have enough income. The boys go to school, the girls go to the marketplace or get married early. So we've been able to do that I've established a, a what I call Liberia Education Trust. We call it a fifty-five hundred-five thousand. We're planning to build or repair fifty schools, train five hundred teachers, give five thousand scholarship to young girls. Where,
0: where do you find, where do you find all the teachers? Where, where are the teachers coming from?
3: Well, most a lot of the teachers, a lot of the skilled teachers, professors, left the country. Maybe some of them are even in this hall today. (laughs) There they are. And and we're hoping we can get them back. But at the same time, we we were able to bring the PISCO back. And the PISCO is now doing teacher training. (laughs) So so we hope we can train those teachers, and we hope they will be supplemented by those we are able to attract back to Repatriate. You know, some of our own. We also have very good programs of exchanges now with universities here that have agreed that they will send you know some teachers during vacations to be able to um, to supplement what we have. Uh, but the problems are there. I tell you, when we increased the enrollment, we found we didn't have enough schools, and not enough books, and not enough teachers. So you keep trying to solve one one problem after the other. There were no lights in a capital city for 14 years.
0: No lights for 14 years. 14
3: years, because the capital was dark. So we made that commitment and with the support of um, Ghana, Ghana came in through their electricity corporation and worked with ours and were able to install lights uh, in 2006. And I tell you, when the first set of street lights came on, the children were dancing in the streets in the night because they had not seen lights or water. They only knew that. Water came out of a bucket, not out of a, a tap. So I mean, those were the challenges that, we've, that we face, and we don't have enough of it now. I can't tell you that every home have lights or every home have water. No. Uh, we still have many, many without because they, you know, they don't have the income to do it and we don't have the capital to spread it as fast as we would want to. But at least the process have started and... and as enormous as the challenge, the enthusiasm for all of us to to continue to make progress is there. and, and Like I say, it's happening.
0: When you educate all these young people now, will you create a revolution of rising expectations? Will you be able to provide them with jobs equivalent to their education? Or will they risk coming abroad?
3: That is a big issue, and what it means is we must quickly open the economy, get our iron ore mines functioning, you know, get our agriculture concessions, our coffee and cocoa, the ones that will create the jobs, get our forestry operations. And we were doing quite well with that. Uh, we had uh, Acelo Metal, you've probably heard of them, the number one steel maker in the year. They have uh, signed with us a $1.5 billion investment to reopen those from Nimba, to reopen the uh, Yekepa mines. Uh, and they have started. We've just concluded with a Chinese company a $2.6 billion investment to, to open up the bong mines, to reopen bong mines. Um, the global financial crisis has put a little damper on things and slowed things a little bit uh, but we, we continue to, to open up that's the only way we'll be able to create those jobs for these thousands and thousands of young people while we're trying to open the economy our aim then is to give them the skills through training so they'll be ready um, when, those, when those jobs open up
0: let me ask you a delicate question. You must be seen as a hero by people in Liberia now. You've been president for about three years. You're, isn't that right? It
3: wasn't that long.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Not quite? No. And, uh, but Liberians all over the world, the emigrate population I'm sure sees you as a hero as well. How... We we imported them tonight to be sure that you had a warm welcome. Okay. But how how will you know? How will you measure your success after a period of time? How will you know, quite frankly, when it's been enough? When you should pass along the mantle of leadership to someone else in Liberia?
3: Age may dictate that. <laughs> No, first of all, I don't see myself as a, as a hero or hero in any I anyway. understand you. Don't. There's so many Liberians that have been part of the processes of change. So many who have made sacrifices. So many who have died for, you know, f, you know, for where we are today and the opportunity to start anew. So I'm just glad that I'm a part of that and have the opportunity to be in a leadership role uh, to be able to do that. Um... When Liberia is on, which I hope is very soon, an irreversible course with the economy open, with most of our young people in school, our infrastructure fixed, we're on the way to that, um, then I would say yes, indeed, that would be the measure of my success.
0: Uh, I. I think of the tragedy of Robert Mugabe in Zimbabwe, who was the great liberation leader of his country, who came to power. Many people were very idealistic about it, and then he's been surrounded by people who encourage him to stay in power indefinitely, and, and I think it's pretty well accepted now that he's virtually ruined his country. How, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful at all, but how do you prevent yourself in effect from becoming a Robert Mugabe one day?
3: Just don't stay in office beyond your time. <laughs> no. Uh, I, I think the main thing is to, to lead by example. I think to show the commitment in everything you do. As I say, to be a part of putting the country on the right course. And know when it's time to leave.
0: Are you Are you developing a political opposition? Is there Is there a two-party oh, there's system? there's
3: a strong political opposition. Never stop. Very healthy.
0: <laughs> do you Do you have respect for them, and do they have respect for you?
3: Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, these are all able, qualified people. They think they can do a better job. I don't think so, but, you know, that's what... <laughs> <laughs> that's what uh, opposition is all about. And I tell you, we have a, you know, a certain open society today, whether it's the newspaper, the media, or whether it's opposition, uh, people can say, you know, say anything, and, and that's it. I mean, we're in a changed environment. So many times when people, when people say to me, but how you allow them to... To say that, I said, well, I did those things myself when I was in opposition. I said those things against others, so if I could give it, I must be prepared to take it.
0: (laughs) I'm going to invite people who may have questions to start making their way to the microphone on either side. Goucher students first, and then others who may have questions. In the meantime, you know, you said earlier that your life in many ways mirrors the history of Liberia, and I I wonder what you think now are the principal lessons of the political development of Liberia, that as you said, there was a settler group that came from America with the best of intentions, and... uh, became a kind of elite that, that did not open opportunity to others. They were overthrown in a violent manner and then other groups kept others out of power. How do you, how do you if you were trying to write or, or, or present the concise themes of Liberian history and its lessons, how would you present that today?
3: I think it's a... Uh It's a lesson in trying to strive for the compromises, Um, trying to find in the Liberian context the things that bind, an identity around which all can rally. Um, We think the war, which affected everybody from, you know, from all walks of life, all elements of society are represented that unifying, you know, um, that unifying cause. And today we're grappling with trying to see through the Truth and Reconciliation Commission as winding down its work to identify some of the root causes of the disunity and the cleavage, and to see if we can use that as a means of confronting our past. Um, accepting it because we can't change it, but being able to confront it and to find a means to go beyond that um, to try to get the unity that is so necessary to be able to keep us on course.
0: Let's go to the questions and I'd ask people to identify themselves. Tell us where you're from before you ask a question. Can't quite see in the lights who that is. Okay, sorry. Uh, hi, I'm Max March Diamond. I'm a sophomore anthropology major. Uh, let me first say what a pleasure it is to have you visit us here at Goucher College. And, and I was wondering, how do you uh, tackle balancing modernization with environmental
1: sustainability and solidarity?
3: Balancing modernity with?
0: How do you balance, uh, I think, development with environmental sustainability? Isn't that your question, yes. Max?
3: We must maintain the environment, and we've put out some pretty tough laws on. So because we, we are a very rich forest country, uh, representing you know 43 percent of the biodiversity in our subregion. We know that we must be able to have a sustained environment if we're not going to cause more problems, as experienced by climate change and all of that you know, in our environment, so our new laws try to balance uh, what we call conservation with commercialization and community benefits. So we're we're always mindful of that uh, to make sure we don't, I'm not sure we got the full balance right because we're just starting in that direction. Uh, But we try to learn from the experiences of others and use the best practices of other countries in Latin America and elsewhere to see if we can achieve the same objective.
0: Thank you.
1: Yes. Hi. Uh, my name is Trevor Lieberman. I'm an international relations major, a senior. Uh, I was wondering if you could explain the, the sources of your, your differing opinion, I guess, with other African leaders over the establishment of AFRICOM.
3: Thanks. Um, our position is that AFRICOM represents a facility that would provide training and logistical support for African armies in those cases where intervention is necessary. There's been a different view as to what AFRICOM is all about, that in fact it would mean the establishment of U.S. bases thereby exposing countries to terrorist threats and all of that. That's not the way we see it. And so our position is very clear and we've, you know, in talking to other leaders we make it clear that if one does get this facility, one can so tailor the terms of reference of it, you know, in such a way that it represents that because at the end of the day most times when African countries are called to intervene, they don't have the means they have to end up getting back to the Security Council you know, to get other forces to come. And this is where we thought AFRICOM could make a difference. But, you know, that debate and that dialogue is still on, hasn't been resolved.
0: Yes. Hi, my name is Kyle Logan and I am an international relations major. And my question deals with uh, involving all different ethnicities in Liberia as there are many different uh, native tribes and American Liberians and so forth, how do you keep, and uh, make sure that all different ethnic groups are involved as uh, historically the American Liberian population has been politically dominant in the country?
3: Oh, we have 16 ethnic groups in Liberia. The American Liberians were on one side and you may say the others. That divide is what one, you know, is now trying to bridge. and. The only thing is to have our constitution, our laws, our policies, our practices to ensure equal opportunity, equity, for all Liberians. You know, there's strength in, in ethnicity in terms of your culture and your tradition. You want to maintain that. But at the same time, I keep saying, our objective is every Liberian is a Liberian, no more or no less than any other.
0: And that's what we've done.
1: Thank you. Yes. Um, my name's Emil. I'm a senior religion major. Uh, I was wondering if you, ta- you could talk a little about your experience in prison and how that affected the way that you engaged your struggles afterwards.
3: You sure you want to hear about an African prison? <laughs> yes. Well, it's a, it's pretty rough. I mean, you know, like a prison everywhere. I mean, your prisons. You know, you see your prisons here, where you know you have television.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> An African prison is a spay, You know, you here. Maybe have a mat on the floor. Sanitary conditions are not so good. Eat one time a day. Um, if you're lucky, you're not subjected to any kinds of. Uh, Terror, but sometimes there is some of that too, you know, beatings and all that. So it's pretty tough. But at the same time, like I say, my own experience, say even though prison terms were rough, there's always somebody who has a kind heart. There's always, even a soldier, the worst of soldiers, you find some of the same soldiers will come right back and will do things like, you know, slipping you some food. And like I say in the book, bring, put some food in their boots uh, and bring it to you and slip it under the door. So, um, prison builds character.
0: What are what are Liberia's prisons like today? Are there still prisons in Liberia?
3: What are they like today? Yes. Overcrowded. We don't have it. <laughs> as much as I've, as much as I, I've done is to have, make sure they build a new wing for the women and <laughs> the women are better, much better off today uh, but overcrowded because our court system is so slow you know, to be able to get, to get them out we, we, we're, we're sure that they eat every day and you know that medical services available to them but it's still bad it's, it's still not the place to be in
0: Amy.
2: Hi, I'm Amy, I'm a sophomore biology major. Um, You've touched upon the responsibility you feel to uh, Liberian women in terms of representing them. My question is, what responsibilities do you think women of my generation have to preserving this and make sure that all the efforts that you've brought to Liberia and countries around the world don't uh, disappear?
3: You have a responsibility to go as far as you can in school, be the best you can, and go and run for office so you can increase the number of people in the U.S. Congress.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Number of women in the U.S. Congress. Yes. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to say what an honor it is to be here with you and in the same room with you. President Sirleaf. Uh, last year, around this time, I had an opportunity to, to see a screening of the film The Iron Lady, which chronicled your first year in office. And um, one of the things that really bothered me and, um, was a scene where it showed um, the uh, rubber, uh, I mean, um, I don't know if it was Firestone or one of the rubber making plants in Liberia, and the conditions under which many of the workers lived who worked there. And I just wondered, has any improvement been made there? And what, if any, changes have taken place since you've been in office? Big
3: improvement. Uh, Better housing for the workers, better educational facilities. They've just reopened the hospital. It's a very important hospital. Um, I had to build a new market. For the market, women, uh, very modernized market with everything. So, if you see Firestone today, compared with what it was several years ago, it's a completely changed place. We had them give us a five-year development plan to make sure that they improve the conditions for workers. So, it's vastly improved. In fact, I'm going to, for for their own PR, I'll tell them they better take some photographs and show it around so people know what it looks like now.
0: So, Firestone, Thank you. Thank you. Firestone is still there in, in life.
3: Firestone is still there. We still have the world's largest rubber plantation.
0: 1926. They came in 1926 to, to And they were there throughout the war? And...
3: Throughout the war, they just paid to a different place, that's all. To to the revenue.
0: Yes. Yes, sir. Good evening.
5: Madam President, my name is Isaac Smith, and I'm the leader of the Liberian community here in Maryland. I want to welcome you on behalf of all your Liberians here in Maryland. Uh, You you spoke of the initiatives of government, particularly the educational fund, as well as the poverty reduction program. Uh, My question is to what extent do you anticipate uh, Liberians in the diaspora involvement to ensuring that those programs are successful.
3: We, uh, when we did the poverty reduction strategy, we sent the document to the Union of Liberian Association. I don't know if you all had a chance to, to meet and discuss it. But in any case, Ambassador Barnes, who should be here somewhere in the audience, Ambassador Nat Barnes has been trying to put together... Um, a special initiative for those in the diaspora so they have a chance to to continue to monitor the progress to be able to see how they might contribute to development. Um, and we hope that so many of you with skills, even if you can't come home on a permanent basis, we talk about can you come home during vacation periods and share your talent and share your ideas with home. So. Would like to see those in the diaspora because there's so many of you with the talents and the skills that your country needs. So we hope that you'll be an active participant in all that we do. And I hope, Ambassador Barnes, that you stand up. are you here? Where's
0: Ambassador Barnes? We know he's here. Mm-hmm. There he is. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, sir. Are would there you? other students, by the way, other Goucher students, if you're in line? Please come to the front. But in the meantime, yes, sir. Good evening,
5: Madam President. Uh, My name is Maxwell Hooks, and I I want to congratulate you for your achievement thus far. Uh, I got two questions. Uh, The first question has to do with, in your last uh, presentation before the question and answer period was begun, you said the TRC is winding down its work. Now, I am concerned as to whether the mandate of the TRC has been achieved knowing that uh, most Liberians who committed atrocities against fellow Liberians went before the TRC, and instead of being apologetic, they chose the other way around, rain insults on members of the TRC and the Liberian people, and that they owe no one apology. Now, what has your government done thus far? Secondly, uh, my, my quick question has to do with your zero tolerance for corruption when you assume office. Now, of late, we have heard and with news filtering in about the high peak of corruption in government cycle. Now, what politics, our policy reforms are in place to ensure that your zero tolerance for corruption is effective so that re- recurrence will, 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 will be averted?
3: First on the, on the TRC, they've been at this for the past almost two years. They're winding down the end of June, and, this is recommend- the
0: Truth, and Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Truth and Reconciliation
3: Commission. Yeah. Um, their report should be out or they'll be finished at the end of June. We don't know what those recommendations will be. But in those cases where recommendations have to do with justice, because justice is also part of the healing process. And if they feel that certain people who are grieved or committed atrocities need to, you know, need further explanation, investigation through the rule of law that the government will support those recommendations also. Um, Corruption, pervasive, systemic, inherited. Today, under threat, because it's being exposed. Whereas before, you never heard people talk about corruption. Today, we're talking about it every day. I'm sure you talk about it. You see it on the internet. You see all of that. It's because it is now being exposed and we're finding it in so many places and being able to now deal with it. We didn't have a strong general auditing office. We do today in which those reports are coming out. Audits are being done every day, exposing past, you know, past uh, uh, violations, current violations. We're firing people. We're suspending people. The only missing piece in all of this is that our court system has been so slow in punishing people. And so that's the biggest thing we have now because don't forget, even the court system was affected by corruption. Even the court system. And so we have to clean that out too for them to be able to take the action as necessary against those who abuse it. So the process is on. We are going to stay on it. We are going to win this battle. It's a huge battle. But we are going to stay focused and stay committed to be able to fight it.
5: Thank you, Madam. Yes, sir.
6: Good evening, Madam President. My name is Emmanuel Kai, and I'm from Grand Basso County. Where's <laughs> Uh My question to you is concerning the uh, free trade zone that was supposed to be built in Grand Basso County. I think about two years ago we have been hearing about that project, but... Uh, as of now, I don't know what has happened to that project. Nothing has happened yet. And my follow-up to that is also a concern concerned with uh, capacity building. I mean, I heard you, you've been a couple of times and I've been at some of your functions and you talked to a Liberian in the diaspora to return home to help in the government. But uh, lately, I mean, it's been very difficult from hearing from... Um, Functions and other places that I travel, that it is very difficult as a Liberian in the diaspora when you leave from here to get into the government. So, what processes are in place that if I leave from here and say I'm going back home to help, what processes do you have in place to help me assimilate into the government?
3: I hope it's not just government. You know, got some good things. <laughs> We're looking for good business people also. uh, And people who can work in these different companies that are opening. So that's part of the problem. Most times somebody wants to say, we are going to give you this particular job in government if you come home. And sometimes we get a little bit reluctant to say, then you're not making enough of a sacrifice. You know, be willing to come. Take our word that you will be placed. The country needs you. But in those cases where if you have special skills, then let's negotiate. <laughs> the, the export processing zone to which you referred uh, was a proposal that came from, from um, a Chinese group. And they made this proposal, and, but it's not something that the government was going to do. It has to be a private sector initiative. And the reason it hasn't gone forward is that, um, one, on the one hand, um, China has been sort of doing other things in the country. And this particular one, they would have to, to borrow funds to be able to build that zone. Liberia cannot borrow today because we're under the HPEC program until we resolve the debt issue sometime next year. So we had to go slow on that. Uh, the next thing is the land issue everybody's a little bit afraid. Right now you know the problem lack is having in their extension. So people who talk about taking, until we can get the land commission functioning and we can get land disputes and land issues settled, nobody that needs large track of land are a little bit wary about coming only to start and then to face people who are claiming it's their land and they're not willing or you, get, you have to you know, get people displaced from their land and that becomes a big social issue. So that's the slowdown, but, you know, we're still hoping that that, uh, that process will go because it has a lot of job opportunities.
6: Thank you, Madam Partha. Next.
1: Hi, good evening. Uh, I'm Kate Orr, and I'm an art major here at Goucher. And um, you mentioned that there are 16 ethnic groups in Liberia, and um, having spent three months in Mali, I know that in Bamako, there are governmental programs set up to look into the ethnic groups of the country and, um, and look at the, the multiplicity of cultures and preserve those cultures um, through performance groups. I was wondering if the Liberian government has any of those programs set up or plans to or what the relationship between the government and the cultures of the ethnic groups consists of right now.
3: Uh, we, you know, we do have the support of the preservation of culture. Um, we have a, you know, a place where people can go and practice through the cultural group. There's not a particular program that's tied to the particular 16, you know, ethnic groups and their culture. Uh, but in those cases where when we when we go around um, to the different counties where the ethnic groups are. We participate to get the support, you know, to continue, you know, their tradition, their, their housing, their dances, and all of that. That's all, uh, that's all supported when their national programs, they come from all of that and can exhibit some of their own cultural ties. Uh, that's how we, we, you know, that's how we try to promote it uh, in, a, in a very general way.
1: Thank you.
0: Yes.
2: Thank you. Uh, President... Johnson Sirleaf, Um, my name is Lauren Goodsmith, and I work with an organization called Communication for Change, as well as with the American Refugee Committee. Um, Drawing great inspiration from your own groundbreaking work on the effects of conflict on women and girls, I've had the opportunity to work on a project on the prevention of gender-based violence in Liberia. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a bit about uh, this issue in your country, and especially about the significance of the fact that one of your very first actions upon taking office was tightening the laws concerning rape? Um, As you know, rape is
3: a big problem in our society. We didn't have it in our society before the wars. But the wars introduced a lot of violence against women. You know, women who were taken as select slaves and all of that, And, and the rape has been one of the results of that. We did pass a new law uh, so that rape is no longer a bailable offense as it was before. We've now set up a special court for rape cases to be able to deal with that and a special uh, unit that deals with domestic violence uh, where women can go to be able to, uh, to work with women lawyers there to take their cases to court. But it's still a problem uh, because court system is still largely male dominated. That's why we have the special court, which is headed by a, a woman judge, um, to see what we can do. And a lot of uh, education and sensitization has to take place uh, to be able to solve this, this, um, this very, very difficult problem for us. It comes a little bit from poverty, you know. People make, uh, you know, people make compromises and arrangements with families who are poor if their child has been raped, you know, by offering them money and other things and they quickly compromise it instead of, you know, instead of exposing it. And that's part of what the sensitization
2: uh, has to be enhanced.
0: I'm just going to take one or two more questions. Yes.
2: Yes, good evening. Uh, my question is, what role did ECOMAG have in the liberation of Liberia? Are they still there? Do they still have a role?
0: Which? E-C-O-M-A-G, E-C-O-M-A-G,
2: E-C-O-M-A-G, the armed forces E-C-O-M-A-G. of the AU. Ecomag. Ecomag. Oh, well, you know,
3: Ecomag was an intervening force that went in there to, to stop, you know, the, the killing and to stop the wars and whatnot. So Ecomag played a, a very important role uh, in that regard. And it was later on that uh, Ecomag was supplemented by a UN peacekeeping force. But it's rarely the African countries... You know, and the African leaders that took the first step to be able to protect the country to stop the wars and to stop the mayhem that was going on.
0: Thank you. Last question, yes.
4: Uh, President Relief, my name is Bill Alexson. I'm the former chaplain to the Boston Celtics and the NBA. <clears throat> Thank you. We have some Celtics. Games. And uh, I apologize for my attire. But I just flew all day from Monrovia, Liberia. I uh, got in at 5.30 and I found out you were speaking 10 minutes from my house. Uh, I took Christian NBA players to Liberia last week. We played uh, four games against the top basketball teams, including the national team. Fortunately for us, we won all four. (laughs) And we conducted uh, basketball clinics and uh, our purpose wasn't just basketball it was to to speak to the youth and all of our players would speak they would address them to encourage them to make right choices in life and to go for education and the players also shared how their faith in Jesus Christ has helped them gone through adversity in life encouraged them in that as well and uh, when I left uh, the airport today the players expressed to me, they thanked me, they said We're we're thankful to God that we we impacted the youth of Liberia, but our lives have been changed, and they all said that they want to go back and uh, bring more people and do more things. So we had a tremendous experience there, and I'm just so delighted to be able to share that with you at this time. Thank you.
3: Let me... It's I who should thank you for taking people there and joining with our young people. So just continue to pray for us. And, yes. But the next time you go make sure I'm there, then I'll make sure you don't win.
4: <laughs> OK, it's a deal.
0: I wonder if uh, Candace Chance could join us. Is she backstage?
2: On behalf of Goucher, the students, um, students from other universities, honored guests, family and friends, we are just deeply honored and humbled to have you in our presence today. You embody what it means to be courageous, determined, persistent, beautiful, humble, and I personally want to thank you for taking on the responsibility of change and encouraging us to take on that responsibility of change. So I want to present you with this glass bowl with Goucher seal and a beautiful bouquet of flowers.
0: President Johnson Sirleaf, thank you very much for joining us. It's a great pleasure to welcome you here.